Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Alex Goldfan. Alex is the CEO of Evangelist Marketing Institute and works with leaders of small and mid-sized businesses to improve sales measurably, even if you're in a mature industry such as distribution, manufacturing, or construction. Client revenues range between $20 million and $2 billion and are almost always multi-generational family businesses. His client list includes companies such as Cisco, Logitech, Lenovo, and many more. Alex is the author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Selling Boldly, as well as the Revenue Growth Habit, selected as the Sales Book of the Year by 800 CEO Reed, as well as Evangelist Marketing. He and his wife, Lisa, are proud parents of 12-year-old twins. Alex lives in Chicago, Illinois, and is here to talk about his book, Pick Up the Phone and Sell. Welcome, Alex. Thank you, Bill. Great to be with you again. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you back on My Quest for the Best. Say, since we covered it before about who inspired you growing up, tell me now about a quote or a book that serves to guide you in your work these days, Alex? Well, there's a number of quotes that I think about on a fairly regular basis, and I'm just trying to select which one I want to put forth here. Let's start with Henry Ford saying, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. I like that a lot because it reminds me that really success is very much up to us personally. We're in control of that. Whether you think you can succeed, make it, have a good day today when you wake up, have a good phone call on this call you have to make. You get to decide that. You get a choice, right? And now it's possible you can decide, yes, I'm going to have a great day. And then some really bad stuff happens and you don't. That is possible. But I suggest that if you decide I'm going to try my best to have a good day today and then the bad stuff happens, the way that you react to it will be much better and more effective and better for you than if you would have woken up and said, today's going to be terrible. It's just going to be a crap day and oh, I've got to get out of bed again. And here we go. Here we go. Right. Here come the calls. Here come the clients who have problems. You got to talk to them anyway. You know, what I think is so interesting about that is that we think of it as either people deciding to have a good day or to decide not to have a good day. What I worry about is the vast middle, the number of people who don't make any decision at all about their day, who don't say, I expect to have one type of day or another. I expect to accomplish these three things today. These things I I think are automatic. As I talk to very successful people, I hear this automatic ritual, a habit about how they plan their day when they wake up, what they think about, where they focus their attention and energy. And it is, it's starting off and saying, I'm going to have a day where I accomplish these things. I can anticipate positively having this kind of effect and good work in the world. Has that always been a part of your life? It's probably an awareness that I developed during my work life, during my adult life. The natural way, the, the normal way for most people is exactly what you just said, Bill. It's stuff sort of happens to us. That's sort of the automatic way to use your... Or default way. Yeah, the reactive way, right? This other way, the proactive way, where you kind of try to take some control of how your life will go. It takes a little work. You have to develop that. We're not born knowing how to do that. We're born kind of reacting, right? Fight or flight is literally in our DNA. And both of those things are reactionary. They're reactive. So I think taking control, being intentional, being proactive, business or personal, right? Life or work here, we're talking either one, both. That's something that takes 
takes some proactive intention. And so it takes some effort and it's not something we're born knowing how to do. We have to develop that. Yes. And it's not difficult. What matters so much is knowing that we can take that choice and then making the choice to simply experiment. I I think that you and I would both encourage people to test that out and see what a difference it makes for a week or two and whether you mean to continue it just by starting out thinking about what kind of positive difference you could make today. Absolutely. You want to hear another quote? Let me hear another one. Winston Churchill said, and this is 90% accurate, but he said, success consists of going from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. And I absolutely love that because selling work as well as business, as well as probably entrepreneurship, which involves lots of selling, is pretty much failure work, unfortunately. We get rejected all the time. And like in baseball, for example, if you fail 70% of the time, you go to the Hall of Fame. Right. You only have to succeed 30% of the time and you're one of the best. In business, in sales, it's less than that. So those of us who sell something for a living, which is me and you as well, and hopefully some of our listeners, if you sell for a living, if we succeed 10 to 15% of the time, we're like among the best in the world at this work. And so literally the words going from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. We have to move through the no's in order to get to the yeses. We have to. Each no brings us closer to the next yes. But everything in our bodies tells us, again, back to fight, fight or flight, everything in us cellularly tells us to avoid the rejection. What would be your reaction if I had said, a customer says to you, I don't believe in cold calling and I think voicemail doesn't work. However, we need to increase sales. <laughs> what would be your response to that? I would say that I'm not saying you should cold call. I think in general, I agree with you that cold calling doesn't work. I think cold calling is a really hard way to live. And I think you should call people who you know. You should call people who recognize you and your company, people you've talked to. You know hundreds of people, almost all of us do. When you call them and you leave a message, what you'll find is they're going to be happy to hear from you. Then you send a text to follow up, like I detail in the book. And now you will see statistically that two out of every three will call you back or communicate back to you. So that's your solution. When you titled the book that, I thought it was very, very clever because it's specifically focused on a behavior. What do you want people to do? You look at the title and that's what you want people to do. <laughs> this is the behavior change you're urging people. First, middle, and last. You want them to pick up the phone and sell. How did you come up with the title? Because it is so plain and so inviting, as well as commanding, telling people this is what you need to do to be successful. Well, thank you for that, Bill. That's very kind of you to sort of note and then sort of think through and vocalize here. We worked on this title from the moment we had the idea. My editor at Wiley, Richard Naramore, and I probably went through about a dozen actual working titles for the book, meaning they weren't ideas on a list. The project was called about 12 different titles on the official files at Wiley. And what we wanted was an action title. I have books, like you said, I have The Revenue Growth Habit. It's a habit. I have Selling Boldly. That tells a story, certainly, because that's a mindset book, but it's not an action title. Five Minute Selling was my most recent book, The Wall Street Journal bestseller. came out last year as we talk to each other now. That got a little closer to the action, but we wanted a real action. We wanted a behavior title. We wanted a title that told the story of what the whole book will tell you about and what there is to do that will cause your improvement quickly. So it it was a long... In fact, I think I was about halfway done with the book until we landed on it. Yeah, I can imagine that because just like every call that we make, every article that we write, every interview that we give, we get better and better at it. We use just the iterative process helps us improve if we're thinking about it and working at it awarely. Yeah. Again, we want it to be intentional 
and action-oriented. Alex, as you were coming up with the idea for the book, was there something in your client work that signaled the need for this around the end of 2020? Were there some conversations that you had? Were there patterns that you were noticing about what people were doing in terms of pulling back from picking up the phone and calling? I think that there wasn't necessarily a pullback from calling because that would assume that people were once using the phone and then stopped using the phone. But it's hard to pull away from something we're not doing. And so I think that most salespeople would prefer to email over use the phone. And even though the phone is the single most effective selling tool we have out of all selling tools, including meetings, it's more effective than meetings. The action of going to the phone is the most avoided. It's the most effective selling tool and it's the most avoided one too. It's the one we use the least. Meanwhile, email, the least effective selling tool is the most used. Talk about the psychology behind that. What are the drivers that make email preferable to the phone for most people? You won't get rejected into your ear on email. E- sent an email. I've, I've done it. I've, I've done my selling, right? I've succeeded. I've sent my email. Well, no. Did the person get your email? Did they see it? Did it register in their brains? If it registered in their brain and they read your email, if they read it, why haven't they replied to it? We don't know anything when we sent an email. Most responses to emails in the selling process is silence. That's what most responses are. And so when you email, you don't really know anything. So the psychology is when I pick up the phone, I can get intimately rejected. And the fear of that rejection controls our behavior. What you, you say in the book is that you have options and the options are you could be intimately connected or you could be intimately rejected or you could leave a message. There are three options and most people only focus on the rejection and never pick up the phone. Yeah. Well, look, the thing that's most likely to happen if you pick up the phone to call somebody proactively. So let's define how we talk about what picking up the phone here means. Admit, the subtitle of the book is how proactive calls to customers and prospects can double your sales. So we're talking about about proactive calls to people, not cold calls, but people who would recognize you, people who know your name, people whose names you know. Yes, there's a part of the book for cold calling, but if you know somebody, that's a much better person to call than if you don't know somebody. And I acknowledge that some salespeople have to make cold calls. There's no choice. We could talk about those people, but almost all of us know hundreds of people who we can call on the phone proactively, who would recognize us and who can buy from us. So that said, when you call those people, the vast majority of the possible outcomes that will happen is going to be you will leave a message. That is going to be 80 to 90% of what will happen. You will leave a voicemail. And so the exercise becomes, what should you say? And so there's scripts in the book, and we could talk about those now. And then what should you do after? And the answer to that is you should send a text message after you leave a voicemail. You should do both because that makes the choice for your customer. Should I call Bill back or not? Takes it from that to should I call Bill back or should I text him back? Yeah. I get a choice of options now as opposed to a yes or no choice. See, that's really insightful. And for people to understand that if they've tried calling and they haven't done the selection process right, they haven't given this process a fair try. If they've done calling in the past and not followed up, they really don't understand what this process is all about. And you've found a way to do it where it is very momentum building. I run my business on three calls a day. I need three calls a day, which is 15 calls a week. That's what I need. And there's days I can't do it because I'm on the road or it's a busy day or 
I'm doing an all-day workshop or I've got webinars one after the other. I don't get to my three calls that day. But by the end of the week, I need 15. And so your Friday afternoon story rings close to my heart because I will call people on Friday afternoon and I will literally, because they know what I do, I, I will say to them, I've only got two more to do and you're my second to last call. And so I just want you to know that. I mean, who else is telling them that? I'm literally the only one, right? So so then my message is, let's teach your people how to do the same thing. I, I can't tell you the business that I've booked on a Friday afternoon, a lot of it, the talks that I've booked on a Friday afternoon. By making these calls, it's three o'clock, I sit down with a drink at my desk and I make my calls. See, part of that is also interesting is that you set up an environment for success, a set up an environment for confidence. You set up your environment because you expect to succeed. You expect to be making a positive difference. In your book, you go through and list four or five reasons that people don't typically think about the reasons that people are counting on you. Your customers are counting on you. For instance, I'm just paraphrasing here. You say your customers are counting on you because they're suffering at the hands of inferior competition. Your customers are waiting to hear from you because they have left you and aren't doing what needs to be done. And you have solutions that can make their life easier, that can make their business more profitable. Your customers and prospects are waiting to hear from you because you're going to help them solve problems that they can't solve on their own. And then you go into personal reasons and say, look, your clients and your colleagues are counting on you to make these calls because you want to grow your business. Your family is calling on, you know, waiting for you to make these calls. You address this in a way that helps people understand the importance of them. So it's harder to push aside. You give them a very easy method to follow. So it doesn't take long. It doesn't mean it's going to be two hours of agony. How long do you expect for people to spend on this? Not only daily, but also weekly in preparing to make the calls. Well, I think you can prepare a list of a few people to call in five minutes and maybe 10 minutes if you write very slowly because we're surrounded by names and phone numbers, right? We've got them in 10 different places. We can look. You can go to your phone. You can go to your text messages. You can go to your email. You can go to your CRM. Uh, you can go to LinkedIn, for God's sake, if you you know can't remember who you know. But don't go to LinkedIn and send LinkedIn messages. Go to LinkedIn and then call somebody that LinkedIn reminds you of. So that's the point there. So you can plan who to call in five or 10 minutes. And then most days, Bill, I got to tell you, it's five minutes because I'm just leaving messages most of the time. If I do connect with somebody, then we have a really nice phone call. How long does that take? Five or 10 minutes for that conversation. If it's longer, that's better for me. That means we're actually talking about something that can turn into business. So there's literally no downside to doing this. There's literally no downside. And as you started with on your question, so many people deserve for you to make these calls. Your family does. You do because you work really hard. Your clients deserve to be helped by you as opposed to the competition. Your prospects deserve to be rescued from the competition, which is not very good. We assume the competition is unbelievably good. They're not. They're not as good as you. You're better than they are. So don't hurt them by making them go to the competition. Well put. One of the things that I thought was very instructive and a piece that I've added to my voicemails is what made me think of the person. Hey, I was thinking about you. There are some options people have to show the connection with the links so that when you leave a voicemail, you're saying, hey, Steve, I was thinking about you because I've been doing business with someone of a similar company. It reminded me of you. Give a couple instances of how that works because it's such an important part of restoring and re-energizing 
that connection. Yeah. And so all these voicemails take like 20 seconds or less and that, that are in the book. And we have multiple options for you. And, you know, the, the scripts are there so that if you don't know what to say, I want them to be a starting point for you. But the sooner it becomes your language instead of my language, the better this will go for you. So, you know, I think you said it. I think if you're coming at it from a business perspective, you say, Bill, it's Alex. I hope you're doing great. You know, I was working with a client similar to you and they're doing some really exciting things with my approaches that I think would work really well for you. And it made me think of you and I'd love to share those with you. So here's my number. And that's my message. And then I text you and I'll say, Bill, it's Alex. Per my voicemail, comma, what's better for you Tuesday or Thursday to connect for a few minutes? And so now you have a voicemail about what I wanted in detail. And then you have a text message, which is very short, whose purpose it is, is to schedule a call with you. And so all you have to do is pick which one you want to communicate on. And so I'll tell you what the statistics are over, over hundreds of thousands of these, because my clients log them. You know, my salespeople, clients, we log them into systems. So we've got countless phone calls, countless voicemails. So we could run statistics. I can run statistics. The stats are like this. Two thirds, if you leave a message like we just demonstrated and then send a text, two thirds of the people will get back to you one way or the other. And two thirds of those will do it by text message. So if I make, you know how many calls, three calls a day, that sounds simple, right? Five minutes, three calls a day, three calls a day is eight, almost 800 calls a year. It's like 780. Five calls a day is 1,300 calls a year. So it adds up in a hurry. Two thirds of 100 is something like 533. 533 communications back to you. These, what I say in the book, feed the machine of your business, of your selling work. They feed the freaking machine. They will fill your calendar. They will fill your pipeline. They will create business conversations, selling conversations. They will move business towards a quote or a proposal. They will move those quotes and proposals towards a close. They will close new business. And then, of course, with existing customers, they will enlarge your existing business with them. You will be able to sell them more. So these phone calls, as the tip of your spear, I want them to be the first thing you do, not the thing at the end of the process, not the thing at the end of the pipeline. That's where most people put phone calls. When I have to, I suppose I will. No, use them to feed the whole process and you'll be amazed what your sales will do. Alex, you work with a lot of companies that are both service businesses, construction, and and also product businesses. What's an example of working with a service business that has embraced this process for their sales team? What were some of the obstacles they encountered and what were the results once they got over that initial hump of learning it and making it part of their routine. I work with a number of engineering companies. And at this engineering company, Paul is the CEO. At this firm, there are really a a very small number of actual salespeople. And most of the people are what they call seller doers. They're engineers who must sell. You might imagine that asking an engineer to sell is similar to asking a lawyer or an accountant to sell. And the answer that you get is, I didn't become an engineer to be a used car salesman, right? Thank you very much, Alex, but I'm an engineer. I will not sell. So there is the major resistance, right? Is they don't want to. They have no interest in it. It's beneath them. That's and, the challenge. And they have a negative connotation to what That's selling right. means. They don't understand how it fuels their business. Right. And so the message is, we're not even talking about selling. We're just helping people. You guys help people in amazing ways. They love you. And, and we show them that. We talk to clients of my clients, customers of my clients, and they talk about 
about how wonderful they are. Yeah. Did you actually have the engineers listen to customer calls yeah. where you asked them what a difference that they made? Yeah, exactly that. They listen to recordings. And we say to them, look, they know how good you are, right? Your clients know how good you are. And now we're just asking you to know. And once you know, I'm asking you to behave accordingly, right? Which means let's go help these people some more and let's go help prospects who aren't working with you and let's rescue them from the competition. So the, the challenge there was a huge resistance to the phone and to selling. And it, 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 look, at most of my work is mindset work. Most of the steps we have to take to make the first call is our mindset steps, which means to boil it down further is we have to overcome the fear. We have to help people deal with the fear because it's the fear that keeps us from picking up the phone. And this book, Pick Up the Phone Itself, has multiple chapters on very specific fears and then me addressing them. So for example, I don't want to be a used car salesman right? That's a typical fear. Another one is, well, I hate getting cold calls. So why would I want to do that to somebody else? And here we have the instant conflation of me say, or anybody saying, let's make some calls with, I'm not going to cold call. Well, I'm not saying you should cold call. I'm saying you should just call people who you know, but we assume because of this fear, we assume that every phone call is, there are no other calls to make besides a cold call. So anyway, we worked on the mindset, they overcame their fear. And then the interesting thing also, you know, perhaps even simpler is oftentimes the first phone call is going to be the one that gives you the energy, the confidence, the positivity, the success that you need to make the next phone call. So a lot of the times, just getting people to the first call, like you made your call, you told the story, right, Bill? You made your call, three calls, you left messages on a Friday afternoon, they all go back to you, right? So that's good. So how'd you feel after that? And I think this is a a really important point to start with the easy calls, to start with the calls that make you feel good, because I felt good having people get back to me and we got to talk about their business and we get to set up an appointment. I'm going to play pickleball in two weeks, doing things with my clients and reactivating relationships that have been dormant. So it's a great opportunity to do that. I was encouraged to start with easy ones because I'd overlooked that before. I think a lot of people do, especially during the pandemic, where we're not interacting with people and being reminded of them as much. It takes extra effort to look out and say, I've got to make a list of 15 people who I'm going to call this week. It could be as little as three to five calls a day. So 15 to 25 calls a week and you can do more, but you will find that three calls a day will do amazing things for you. Yeah, I'm doing this and committing to it for a month, four weeks, just to keep the momentum going. I don't feel like it has to be so imposing that way. And I just want to get some positive momentum going because I'm very eager to look back and say, look, I made 500 more connections in the year than I did prior just by using the simple system. It takes a few minutes a day. And at the end of each week, I get to tally up and see if I did my goal, whether it's 15 or 20. Yeah. And look, it's 500 connections that help you build a relationship with somebody, that help you move the business forward with somebody, that help you get to a proposal with somebody, that help you close deals with somebody. So there is no possible way for you to do this and not grow your business. It's just against the laws of physics for you to communicate that much more and not sell more. Because the more that we communicate with customers and prospects, the more we sell. And the less that we communicate, the less they buy. To me, the way I think about it is in terms of the laws of physics, we're pushing forward communications and relationships and action. And so I I think there's absolutely no way for business not to grow if we do that. Alex, in the client work that you've done in the last year, what would you say is the biggest misconception that business leaders have about calling? Well, one of the biggest obstacles is leaders at almost at every talk and workshop that I do, they will say young people don't like to make phone calls. Young people don't use the phone or they say they won't use the phone. In my experience, it's because nobody's ever shown them how. They haven't 
grown up using the phone like we did, you know, like for us, we wanted to call grandma and grandpa. We had to use the phone. We wanted to talk to our friends. We had to use the phone. That's all there was. You know, my kids don't know how to use the phone. My kids are 12 years old. They have smartphones. And when we call them on it, just the voice phone call, they don't know what to do. They're like, why aren't you FaceTiming me? You know, why aren't we looking at each other? And this holds true for salespeople in their 20s, salespeople in their 30s, probably all the way up to about 40 years old. In my experience, when we give people a system, simple steps to take and do and some scripting of what to say on how to do these things. When in the day should we do that? How much time should we spend on it? When we give them a process, the most successful people in an organization with this work are the young people that the owners and the leaders assume will simply have no interest in it. And in fact, the results are exactly the opposite. What is it that they do? I think the answer is pretty obvious, but (laughs) what is it that they do that's different than what the leaders expect? They start to make proactive phone calls to customers and prospects. There are people who are listening to this who are sales managers and saying, well, this is great. Now, should I tell people to repeat this every hour who are dedicated sales teams? People who are in a dedicated environment like this, where their role is to sell and to nurture accounts like this. There's a part of it that's obvious. What is it that you encourage them to do with the other seven and a half hours of their day? It's not like salespeople are sitting around twiddling their thumbs. They're really, really busy. And I know this because I work with them and I also am one, but most salespeople spend their days reacting to what's incoming. The phone rings and when the phone rings, it's never a compliment or, hey, great job. That was awesome. Can I pay you more? It's always you screwed it up or where the hell is it? Or why is it broken again? You were just here fixing it. Customers call us with problems and with urgencies. And so we salespeople, and by the way, salespeople also call customers with problems and urgencies. So the only time customers and salespeople talk to each other is when something is wrong, when something is negative. So the answer to your question is they're really, really busy. And if we gave them a system that would require four hours a day to implement, nobody would do it because there's just no time. I'm giving people a system that takes five minutes a day to implement, 10 minutes a day to implement. And it has to be quick. I will never tell you that what you're doing isn't working and that you need to tear it down and rebuild it. I think it's working just fine. I do. I think you're doing great. And I simply think we need to infuse a little proactive, intentional communication on the phone into that work. Alex, a couple questions for the My Quest for the Best Lightning Round. Are you ready? Yes, sir. I'm ready. Who is somebody who you've worked with who, who worked you would have loved to have had as a sales manager yeah. because they, they were so aligned with the work that yeah. you do and your philosophy? Yeah. So there was a, a, a sales manager at an insurance brokerage. We'll call him Jake. And Jake not only gave guidance, but actually did example phone calls with his salespeople, actually demonstrated the work for his people and, and had all of the success in exactly the actions that he was asking them to take now. Previously, he would tell them what to do, but he would also show them what to do. And he he's very practical about it. So because he was there and he knew the work and he did the work and he continued to do the work with people. And when he was the salesperson, he was the most successful one. So people kind of looked up to him and he was he was known for his success. So that was it's the guy or, or woman who shows the work and demonstrates the work is the one that tends to get the best results. Alex, I know that as a consultant, we learn from our clients as much as we get to teach them our systems and methods and means of succeeding. What are a couple things, one or two things that you've learned since you wrote the book that helps you become even a better coach, consultant, teacher to your clients that you learned from one of your clients? I learned the phrase, weaponize the phone. So a client said that to his group and there was about 200 people. We were on a web meeting and my client, the COO of this distributor organization, he said, what would have happened if we would have weaponized the phone sooner? And I thought, holy cow, weaponize the phone, right? For sales growth, for revenue, for relationships, for trust. That's cool. I think it's going to be the title of another book coming out just between you and me. (laughs) 
Yeah, and then I will get all of the emails that say, why would you use such violent language? <laughs> Those emails will come in. But it, it takes it to another level when you start using different metaphors. There's stuff to play around with there. And speaking of big ideas, how many pies you, you mentioned and we had been speaking about earlier, your garden. And people may or may not know that you grow gigantic pumpkins as part of one of your hobbies. How many pies does a 420-pound pumpkin make? Or do you just have like a community jack-o'-lantern carving? <laughs> what do you do with a 420-pound pumpkin once you harvest it? in October. So my pumpkin last year was 420. My pumpkins this year, I'm looking out into the garden right now. I have a 1,200 pounder out there and a 950 pounder. You can't eat pie <laughs> with these pumpkins because we use strong fertilizers on them and it's not organic and I, I wouldn't eat it. And, you know, some people would. It's actually nothing different than what our production farms use in America, but I wouldn't eat it. I'd like to keep my veggies organic. In terms of the carving, actually, yes, we had a master carver before last Halloween and the kids invited their friends over and we had a bunch of families over and he carved some pretty amazing things into these pumpkins. So yeah, so we do a carving. We did it at our house last year, but this year I think we're going to get the pumpkins out to some different places where more people can see them and enjoy. So you knew the weights of your pumpkins at this point. How do you weigh your pumpkins as they're as they're growing? You have special scales that you fit them under? Fit under uh, them? I don't. So most people will measure them in inches. It's called an over-the-top measurement. And so you measure it three different ways and you you combine the density. You combine all the inches and then you plug it into a chart, which is a fairly detailed algebra formula. And it converts your inches into into pounds. Alex, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today on my quest for the best. Thank you, you so much, Bill. You've shared such great ideas and encouragement for people to pick up the phone and sell. It, you've made the case about how our customers are waiting for us and we're actually rescuing them by picking up the phone and selling. You've helped us overcome the obstacles of the resistance and of not doing it correctly. You've smashed the myth of people thinking that the younger people, the millennials on their team, won't pick up the phone and sell. And you've shown that if you give them a system that leads to success, not only will they do it, they'll run with it and enhance your company's revenue goals. So Alex, for these and so many more reasons, I want to thank you again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thank you so much, Bill. I'm grateful to be with you again. Alex, tell me, where is it that we can find out more about you and your work online? To get the book, you can go to Amazon or really Barnes & Noble, wherever they sell books. You can learn about my work and my consulting and, and my speaking stuff at goldfane.com, my last name, goldfane.com. We will link to goldfane.com. We will link to your social media and we'll link to all of those online outlets to be able to pick up the phone and sell. Alex Goldfane, author of Pick Up the Phone and Sell, I want to thank you once again for joining me on thank My Quest for the Best. Thank you so much, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app, so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. 
See you on the next episode.